Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in body work, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. Hello, everyone out there. Today, we're in conversation with Kirsten Shoemaker. Kirsten is a board-certified structural integrator who specializes in freeing myofascial restrictions of nerves and vasculature with the goal of helping clients to enjoy moving with greater comfort, ease, and agility. Her gentle and specific work can resolve long-standing issues with posture and function, and she has a deep appreciation of the science and art of manual therapy. Kirsten is a certified teacher of anatomy-trained structural integration, and she offers advanced training for manual therapists and structural integrators through her anatomy-trained supported courses in neurovascular release. Today, we chat about her path that brought her to where she is so far, what is neurovascular work, and why is it so important, and she shares a few examples of the work. Kirsten is our first and hopefully not last anatomy trains trained guest. How exciting it is to broaden our field. And so with that, let's begin our talk. Hello. Hi. Yeah, why don't we start with a little bit about who you are, and then we'll kind of roll with things. Okay, sounds great. So tell us about yourself. Well, thanks for having me here. I, um, well, Nikki knows me from a, a short, like a half-day class that uh, we did in almost a year ago, I, said, I guess. And uh, it was on neurovascular release, the manual work that I have been teaching for mm, since 2013. And uh, the classes that I, I started out teaching neural classes, but then I realized that, well, actually half of the content that I'm teaching is really more about releasing the vasculature. And uh, so it came up with, you know, nerve and artery release is what I was calling it originally. And then neurovascular is a little bit more accurate, I feel like, because it's hard to separate those two systems, you know people who take nerve classes are often learning to release just the nerves, but typically the arteries and the veins run along with the nerves. And so you're working with the vascular network at the same time. And um, I think of, but, but the vascular network and the neural network are slightly different from one another. For example, nerves fan out like river deltas and get ever smaller. And there are a few places where there are collateral branches that link up with other nerves, but for the most part, they just fan out and get smaller. Whereas arteries, especially like around joints, have really complicated pathways in it. So whatever position your joint is in, blood will get there. Um, So there are a lot of collateral branches with arteries. And sometimes... Well, and and another difference between the nerve network and the artery network is that nerves are uh, very fibrous, like the nerves into the arms are 50 to 90% fibrous connective tissue. That's like not neurons, you know, just like fascial fibers, essentially. And that makes them very sturdy. 
And when you pull on them, it feels more like a string or a cable, depending on its diameter. But when you're pulling on tight artery network, you don't encounter that same kind of tension. It, it's, it's strange, and I, I don't really have good documentation for, I don't think people have researched this, but it seems like the, where the muscles are hypertonic, the vascular network to the muscle is under tension. And if you can stretch that vascular network, the blood supply, then the muscle returns to normal tone. And so when, once I, I, I understood that, and, and it was from taking a, um, a, a functional methods class with Jeffrey Birch, where he was, he's teaching osteopathic methods. It's, um, it's a, his uh, introductory course that leads into teaching visceral work. And he doesn't teach a nerve class or an artery class per se, but when the um, when it comes up as being the tight thing, then he'll show you how to release it. And so he's the person who taught me to do some vascular release as it pertained to the stuff that he was teaching. And once I got the hang of working with the artery network, I started using my hands uh, in a way to predict where where was the artery network tight. So if we're just assessing tissue and touching and we find hypertonic muscle, um, there's a good guess that there's artery tension or vascular tension to that muscle. And sometimes it's problematic to have a hypertonic muscle that won't let go. And if you can get enough slack in the system because it might be living under a lot of tension. If you can bring the ends together, like shorten up the, the artery supply to the muscle, and then put a stretch on the muscle, because then it will be able to lengthen. And then holding that length in the muscle, then you add back some artery tension. That effectively stretches the artery supply to the muscle without triggering a guarding response. Because if you, if you didn't do the slack first and then lengthen the muscle, what you'd end up with the muscle is just being tight, protecting the artery network. So it, that little strategic plan becomes my formula for inventing artery releases everywhere in the body. And as a structural integrator, not an osteopath, because I'm trained as a structural integrator, I'm thinking about um, myofascial balance, you know, so if, if like, and functional balance. So if, um, like if the, if I tilt my head to the left and I'm feeling assorted, you know, sources of tension on the right side of my neck. And some of that tension could be trapezius. Some of it could be scalenes and some of it could be brachial plexus. You know, if I've got a few stuck nerve roots it might feel like almost like fascial tension, but it could be that break that fan of brachial plexus nerves into the arm that's actually limiting the side bending of my head. And then I go come up and I test the other side, and it might be a different thing that limits lateral flexion on that side. Maybe I feel it. Uh, well, right now <laughs> in my head, I'm feeling it up more towards where the SCM is going into the head. And uh, 
but it's not specifically muscle that's tight. It's funny. It's, it's, it gets probably more like my vascular tract behind SCM and my SCM fires up a little bit to protect it. So that this, this leads me into talking about the work that I'm doing right now. I just want to echo on um, how powerful this technique is. Uh-huh. That when I took your class, also being a structural integrator, and, you know, in the school that I was trained with, um, Dr. Eiderolf Institute was kind of leaning more on the on, on spectrum of touch is a little bit more heavy handed. Yeah. And when you were teaching us these very, very subtle, almost like a kind of holding and invitation nudge to the tissue and with some subtle movement, how profound the changes in st- structural and you know, I, like I said, I found, you know, we were, when we were in um, class together, we were working with some of my scoliosis patterns and just how easy it was just to kind of find openness in, in the places that I've been felt kind of tight in my curve. And this morning playing with it again, first thing in the morning, right before I was going to do a little Wim Hof breathing, you know, I, I kind of feel like my head's always sitting like a little tilted on my on my neck and again I think that's just part of my scoliosis pattern but you know I you know I hang out there quite a bit and I'm always feeling a little a little tight and kind of trying to figure out how to like get a little bit more space between my cervical and my head and it was just beautiful again just holding on to the front of the sternum and playing with a little movements is that I was getting that openness that I was craving and I was able to do it myself. It wasn't heavy handed. And, and it was just this great little breather into my body. Yeah. You're, you're doing um, like you, you, let's see, the second class that you took with me was the online one where we were doing self-treatment with holding the sternum. Correct. And then I had people tie an imaginary balloon onto one ear and lift that ear. Yes, which is a very good... I kind of was naturally going there, but then when you had that, the imagery of the balloon, it just gave a little bit of that encouragement of lift. Yeah. Which I thought was a nice invitation. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and so, um, you know, that learning the, the kind of the more osteopathic touch that's really subtle led me to feeling into my own body in an interoceptive way in a more, with more subtlety and that um i i guess that led me to um guiding other people to do that do the same it's like it's like what i what i miss in sort of a traditional osteopathic approach that is in structural integration is a a lot of emphasis on um the client's own experience in their body and uh, that being central and building the skill to listen and notice nuanced changes in the body without really having an agenda. Like what I, what I like about structural integration is that it's not so much about looking for the next painful thing. It's more like what's, what's shifted, what's new, what has changed. And often, that 
if you can let go of of the pursuing the chasing down whatever's painful i mean this is classic structural integration teaching you know came from ida way back when um but you know to the idea of not chasing the pain you often get a better result you know if you can if you can um look for balance and often that means just being open to the idea that your body is changing and and less it less either attached or fearful of uh either attached to the idea that oh i have my scoliosis my scoliosis is stuck it's been that way a long time or that would be attachment or fear that it's not going to change oh i my nobody is ever going to be able to solve my xyz problem you know like both that that kind of attachment and the fear and worry if you can escape those it leads to like a really a more expansive journey i guess mm. in in body work and um, would you, i would say also like the attachment of i have pain here like associating yeah. that i have pain here not even necessarily like a bigger pattern i I got into body work originally because I was living in Southeast Asia and I'd been a yoga teacher so I started studying Thai body work because it was there and it was accessible and Thai can be very about where is the pain put your elbow into that it's not yeah. all that way but a lot is and as I grew my practice and started studying other fields like cranial sacral it's been definitely helpful to feel in but we in my training in my SI training we had half a day with john martin doing his nerve work and it's it's amazing always for me when i work with people i will sort of fall into heavy handedness because that's my pattern that's what i what i know and and that's what i like to an extent and sometimes i just have to like remember step back and do some slacking and it is it's 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 always amazing because i i feel like i can get much better results by slacking and letting the client have their experience and less than maybe their their mind experience their body gets a shift and and it's funny sometimes because i think some some people are expecting the heavy handed and you'll I'll do the lighter work on them a little bit of slacking and at that first almost they feel like well i didn't get what i i didn't get my deep pain and that's like okay but go walk and then they walk and that's like boom the eyes light up like whoa i feel so much better it's like aha yes yeah right. yeah well i know a lot of the classic si moves or techniques approaches are working with the vascular network um you know the idea of of putting the tissue where you want it and then calling for movement that calling for movement is putting slack and tension on the vascular network So if you're engaging the muscle and sort of pushing into it and you've got that just right hook in the tissue and then you have some at say you're in the quads or something and then you have somebody float their knee up and down they're maybe not engaging the muscle that you're working on they're they're engaging other muscles to make that movement happen but that that floating the leg up and down is going to put tension and slack on the vascular network and it makes there's a moment at which when they get they give you more slack that you can glide through the tissue 
and then they, they give you more tension and it sort of stops your flow through the tissue. And then they give you slack again and you can glide again. You've probably felt that as you're moving. It's not like a continuous rate of travel. You've got, a, you've got sort of a steady hook in the tissue, but there's a moment at which you travel more in the tissue and a moment at which you travel less. And that moment when you're traveling less is when they've reestablished artery tension. It, and then they also, give you a little slack again. And when it's not working, mm -hmm. usually what I find is I need to actually um, find more slack because we're not getting enough slack. So for a person lying face up on the table, that might be putting like a simple bed pillow under the knees, not like a traditional massage bolster, but something a little squishier that maybe lifts the knees uh, four inches off the table. And so that's like a different starting position. So from there, if they lift their knee up and down, float it up and down, resting back onto the pillow, the whole thing is happening with more slack. So the oscillation between tension and slack is just, there's more slack in the network as you're playing with it. And sometimes you find that the, the hook in the muscle is more satisfying. Yeah, there's also something that I experienced, and I don't know if you can talk about this or not, which is that after there's a sort of the hook and there's the slack and there's sort of a, an adjustment, there's sort of a sensation that tells me at some point, now is enough and, and basically come out. And it's this weird, it, maybe it's more of an osteopathic thing. It's sort of like a, maybe it is the breath of life. I, I, I can't explain it, but I'll slack a little bit. There'll be sort of this pause or like set, and then it's it's almost like a bubble opening up, of which I generally know like that's the time to disengage from the hook. But I, I I can't really explain it. I don't know if you've had similar experiences or if you know exactly what I'm talking about. I do know not. what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm not crazy. I like that. No, it's uh, like every, uh, you know, every stroke has its arc. You know, like where where it feels like you're just you're you're done. Um, in, in, in anatomy, you know, I, I studied with Tom Myers in the anatomy trains school of structural integration. And I've, I've taught in that school too, in the, in the basic SI training program. And, and we teach in that program about the arc of the session, the arc of the series, the arc of the stroke. And so that arc is like going up the mountain, it's like going to a peak and then coming down the hill on the other side. And so in a given session, there's a place where there's the peak and then peak of intensity or uh, change happening, something bigger sensation-wise, and then sort of this descent into a parasympathetic mode. And sometimes that, that coming down off the, off the peak uh, happens sooner than you uh, anticipate or want it to happen in the, in the session. And it's like that timing again. It's like, whoa, I think it must be time to wrap up this session. You know, I can feel the person is dipping into parasympathetic. It would be, it would be the wrong flow to just add more intensity right now. Have you been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think we both do. Yeah. So that arc of the session is true for a stroke too. You just, you feel like, oh, there's the end of the stroke. And, and, and it won't be helpful to continue. Either it won't be interesting or it's the wrong thing. 
Yeah, and it's really a sense of how I kind of understood it in my own way was it was the body saying, I'm good, let's go to the next thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I would love to hear how you have, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounded like you're transitioning a little bit more with your practice being a little less hands-on and that you're kind of switching into an online Yeah, yeah, I started, yeah. Why, and that you were doing that before COVID. I know a lot of us practitioners, once COVID hit and lockdown scrambled and tried to figure out how to bring our work online, and you, you've already been doing it, and you have this great offering through Anatomy Trains, a class for people to start pl- touching into that. But I'm just curious, why, why start trying to move online? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I had the idea that I wanted support for the manual courses online. And so I already had like a learning platform selected. And, you know, I was inching my way in that direction, but I wasn't planning to teach manual work online. I would just wanted it to be support. But then what happened is when my practice, you know, suddenly I didn't have any income and I had to cancel all my classes. I... I just decided I needed to create, I, actually it was a few colleagues called me up and I just started working with them through Zoom, doing a little bit of neck work and just like we were describing. And um, I thought, well, I should teach a class on this and then I bet I could do a thorax class because I, it would just grew out of what I was trying to help people with through Zoom. And so I had three modules, like a neck module, a thorax module, a working in a very specific way with tennis ball on back muscles to get artery to back muscles. I was adapting the manual techniques to something I could do on my own body. And then I was teaching colleagues, friends, you know, how to do the same thing. And I was getting, starting to getting more consistent results in it. I thought, you know, I just need to show everybody how to do this so that um, we have an alternative to working in person. And then I realized yeah, I could show the techniques in three little modules, but that doesn't really teach people how to teach it to their, to their people. And, and so that one, that one hour neck class became one week of doing neck work. And, and it just, it blossomed into like a four week course. And that's what I've been teaching. And what the, the, um, the treasure, I guess, for me in that, is that 18 hours of class spread out over a month is three times a week. You know, it's four and a half hours a week, but it's like so layered in with a little bit of learning, a little bit of practice, a little bit of discussion and more learning and that layering of, of um, titration of the work and the learning. I love it. And, and it makes- you're talking, this particular class you're describing right now is an online Yeah, it's it's an online class. And what's great is is that um, people don't have to come to you, right? So you can do just an hour and a half at a time. You don't have to do the marathon, fire hose, try to download everything in three days. You spread that, you do, essentially, it's like about four day class spread out over a month. And, um, And I like that layered learning, that titration. I do too. I think, I mean, I think both school, like I've done some of, um, 
uh, brawl classes and they're great, but man, that is a lot of techniques in a weekend and you, it, you learn so much and it is like a fire hose where it's, yeah, I, I've been the one wielding the fire hose. <laughs> I, I tend to try to over deliver in my classes, but yeah. I, the, um, giving more time to absorb and process and ask questions and experiment, all of that makes a deeper learning. And so what I want to do is I, before the COVID thing is over, you know, it's going to take a while before we get back to trap, you know, doing extensive travel for classes. So I want to go back to my manual techniques and try to teach that online. I think it can be done. I think people just need to sign up in pairs, you know, Mm -hmm. they can have a body to practice on who's also learning. Well, and also what I think is great, what you're offering. Yes. It's great support for practitioners to whether they need it to, you know, build into their, their toolbox for their on or their um, in-person clientele, but also another tool for people to kind of still be connected with their clients in the interim. I mean, I know I offered my, I have a movement background and I offered movement. I called it like movement modality for the 10 series. And it was a free webinar through, um, I did it at two different places and I still get emails from people. This was like right in the beginning of lockdown in like March, I think. And I still get emails with people saying how helpful that was because it keeps the dialogue going in with their their clients. It's great self-care. And I think that's, I love that kind of stuff of how do we empower our clients to take care of themselves? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we can't always be there. And especially now with COVID, it's like, how comfortable is everybody going to be in being in each other's space and the traditional therapeutic room and that, that, that again what I think is so great what you're offering is um it's an opportunity for clients to or people to take that time to feel into themselves and to know that they can he- heal their, their own selves and just with a little bit of support how empowering is that and it's empowering yeah. yeah yeah and there's there's um there's somebody who I was teaching mentioned that they were working with a client who had um PTSD, uh, some trauma history, and that that was their their client's primary um, comment was just it was so empowering to be able to work with their own neck and have it feel safe. And um, I think in general, a lot of people could use like a little nervous system calming and safety these days. Um, the, the the initial neck work is really great for vagus nerve. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get interested in all this? Like what was your seed of like of interest? Like what 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 was presented in your life or what happened that brought you on this journey? Well, I was a science nerd in college and studied environmental biology and worked with fisheries data and maps and was being steered towards computer work and I just thought mm, I want to work with my hands I want to work with people not data sets and so I went into massage and much to my family's disappointment you know chucked the science career out the window and and then discovered that I was a little bit unchallenged and 
intellectually. And so I, I started going into shiatsu massage, actually, because I was interested in Chinese medicine. And I thought, I, I just got excited. My brain got excited. But I was for seven years working, doing shiatsu, kind of pressing on meridians. And suddenly I, I, I had been reading Tom Meyer's articles on, uh, on the body. This was in the early 2000s. And I thought, oh, if I could only study anatomy with that person, you know, that'd be great. And then I ended up, this anatomy trains three-day weekend thing popped up and I went in and I learned about his myofascial meridians and trains. And suddenly I realized I had been thumbing my way in shiatsu along these intermuscular septa for years. And I suddenly had this 3D perspective on these meridians running through the body. And that was that was the beginning of being interested in structural integration and even knowing that that was a thing. <laughs> and then I, a year and a half later, I did uh, the ATSI. It was then called KM, KMI, um, SI program. And that was 2004 and five. And, uh, and it, was, it was really, it was my scoliosis was part of the reason I got into body work in the first place. But by the time I got out of my SI training, I had more mobility, but I was so uncomfortable. My body was no longer splinting itself. You know, I had more movement available in my torso, but I couldn't sit in any position that was comfortable. And with, with much compassion, Tom said to me, you know, I think it's in your nervous system. It's just going to take time. And he meant maybe a little bit more you know, uh, generally in my nervous system, but I think it was literally in my stuck nerves, my nerves that were not fascially released yet. And, um, and my vasculature system, <laughs> my vascular system. But um, I started taking osteopathic style classes that that very summer that I graduated, which was a little bit earlier, early. Um, I, I can't say that I learned a whole lot from those uh, uh, visceral classes, but um, uh, I did learn, begin to learn subtle touch. And uh, the following summer, I took my first nerve class. And that was when I started to, I just got pulled in that direction. When, when, I, when I speak of it now to people about like the neural network and the vascular network and the fascial network, I think of it as three different sweaters that we're wearing at the same time. And we know we as most of us as body workers, as structural integrators know the fascial map really well. It's like that sweater. We know how to move it around on the body. But if you understand just a little bit more about the neural network and the vascular network, you can move those around in a very, a skillful way while you're working with the fascial sweater. It's like you can't work on just one tissue type anyway. You're working with the neural and the vascular network, even though you're working with the fascial network. But little nuances in how you do that can make a big benefit for the neural or the vascular network. And it was when those parts of my body finally got the attention that I needed that I finally started getting more at home and more comfortable in my body uh, after the SI training it took some years but um, 
I, I'd say it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's my favorite thing now. <laughs> well, that's a great explanation of kind of sharing on how the, of the, the different layers and the different needs and how they all interplay to, to find sound structure. I mean, I can, I can relate a little bit to, you know, I've, I've never really felt identified so much with my scoliosis. It's something I've, I was born with. I've had it all my life. Um, I started feeling discomfort in college, but who knows if that was scoliosis. It, maybe it could have been just studying in a different way. I don't, who knows? Um, but when I went through my training, I did start to kind of, I was kind of similar to what you were feeling, was feeling this great ease in a lot of places, but then just in certain spots in my spine, it wasn't matching up. And it's just kind of a similar feeling that I feel throughout when I would get body work. And for me, and I'm curious of what your thoughts are, if, you, if you're familiar with gyrotonic gyrokinesis. A little bit. So it's a lot of um, undulation and spiral, but with the machines, it's a great way of like, you get really expansive with support and the way you get to move into your, into your body, essentially, it's like you get to get really deep in those quiet places softly. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I got heavy into that training well after of having, a, you know, being well immersed into the structural integration world. And I couldn't help but think that when I was going through these spiral undulating movements with great support, I did feel like I, we were, I was with movements speaking into the nervous vascular system within the, you know, the facet, facets of the, the spine. Yes. And I'm wondering if, if you have opinions on like, I mean, I feel like a little bit of like the way you're kind of, what what I've seen in your touch, yeah. That, that quiet nudge is kind of the the nudge, the quiet nudge that I got in my spine with movement. Yeah, yeah. It. I think about yoga, yoga twists, you know, seated twists. Yeah. And um, if you're doing it at a subtle level, like trying less hard and just not using your arms to crank around and just turning as far as you go, and then adding breath, then the ribs bucket handle out. They they swing out. And that adds a little tension to the neural and the vascular intercostal, you know, the, in the intercostals, the neural and vascular networks, and you exhale. And that kind of movement of the ribs in and out is moving the joints near the spine. And, you know, it, it's, it's nothing new under the sun. I mean, we, like there's the gyrotonics is, is, is working with that in a beautiful new way. Um, uh, Lots of the subtle work, like even like Egoscue kinds of things where you're gradually take, you're working with slack, basically, taking the leg into enough slack that the, with gravity, the whole body relaxes and you lose the muscle guarding because it's in a safe place and you get a little bit of subtle tension on the neural and the vascular network. I think it's, I think all so many of these wonderful creative ways of working with the body are actually working with the neural and the vascular networks. It's just, we're not telling that story because we're caught up in the fascial story, which is an important is so much more fun to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think what you said is really is so apropos about the sweaters. 
Uh, although I was picturing it like there's a fourth sweater of the first sweater and the f- f- fourth are actually one of which the nerves are like running through, but also around. But if you're, like you said, you're doing these movements and you're, you're concentrating on fascia, well, the nerves and the vascular are all running through and around and, and in it. So you, you will be working the, the nerves and the, and the vasculature by default. I started all this, I guess, by being a, a yogi. People listening won't see my air quotes, but my practice was so strong. And, and even like when I was thinking when you're talking about twists, it was so much about like going as far into it as possible. Mm-hmm. How could I have been breathing very well then? I was, I was beyond the point and I was so, so in a place of, of health tension and then later, as I started studying somatics and other lighter ways of even going into the twist and then on the exhale coming slightly out and then the inhale giving more or going opposite ways and finding that those, those spaces to, to let my breath open it up more to let, um, or to use imagery and have, um, you know, and, and Rolfing, we have what's called palantonicity. I don't know if you guys really got that same thing through Tom. Yeah. So of being even imagery of being in a, a movement, but uh, I was just teaching someone today who's a little stuck in like having the, the, the heart come forward while the tailbone comes back. And even if it's not actually physically moving, having a, uh, an image of it to allow the, the body to also unfold and, and relax and let that nervous system drop down. Yeah. Okay. There's so much we can do with imagery. Yeah, it's beautiful for for me because in Thai massage we did not have imagery. I mean, you have the 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 system itself is imagery, like you're using an energetic system that's not visible. But once I started, before I even studied structural integration, I was bridging yoga nidra type stuff into physical body work, and uh, and then later learning more and learning some of Hubert Godard's. Um, Tonic, uh, tonic function theory and a lot of the imagery and, and that stuff is, it's amazing how, how it works. It's also amazing because to throw back to earlier in the conversation, you're really giving the client the power. You yeah. know, when you, when you were talking earlier about the, the balloon on the air and, and the coming up, and I forget if we talked about that before we actually started the talk or if we actually had it during what we're recording, that doing that stretch, you know, and Nikki was saying how the, the balloon helped it go up more. That's all her. That's no hands-on. That's not, when I do a lot of, of movement work with my people, if I'm holding the tissue and having them move, I'm giving them cues so that they are A, moving, but also that causes them to feel in their body what is actually going on versus like, all right, here's my money, rub me down and I'm, and I'm gone for the next thing. It's like, no, I'm sitting, I'm learning, I'm, I'm moving and I'm, I'm becoming embodied and integrated through that. Yeah, and organizing your body in a yeah. complex, integrated way. I, I took a class um, long ago with a, a short class with um, Kevin Frank and Karen McCose and there, a lot of their work comes somewhat from Hubert Godard too. And I don't know which thing that they taught me was coming from where, but we did, it was just a little one hour breakout class at a, at a symposium. And we were um, working with lying down and no, let's see, we were doing a standing arabesque. And then we were doing something lying down where we were imagining 
like our tailbone extending 20 feet for our feet extending 20 feet further and our head extending so we were really long like avatar long you know bodies uh, and uh and then engaging to float the leg off the table you know and and do a hip extension and how much more organized and contained and long the body is when you imagine your head being 20 feet further from your body than it is you know imagining that length and uh it, it's it's really fascinating what the body can do with certain image imagery but yeah, um they, they have they have a great book out together too just uh if, if for for you but also anyone listening and you can find it on probably on, i think you can get it on amazon but also through kevin and karen's website it's a great book that goes into a bit about the imagery about the tonic function um, yeah I can't think of the name of it. It's a red cover. They're beautiful. Kevin's just so, I know him a little more than Karen. He's so smart. And so the things he does is I'm always just like, okay, slow down. I, 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 it takes me longer to process, but he's so just a very intelligent person. So what he puts together, you know, I, I believe Karen has a background in continuum and bringing uh, that for that yeah. practice in. They just have this like really beautiful practice. Yeah. That's one of the things that, Nikki and I, have, I think, want to really do as well as there's a lot of great SI authors. You know, there's a lot of great people in our field who've written stuff. And then we just don't, it doesn't get like disseminated throughout the, throughout the, the field, throughout the school. You only, the, the books you hear about are Anatomy Trains and uh, the Ed Maupin books from, which yeah. are, you know, haven't been updated in a while either. You don't really necessarily hear about Kevin's book about uh, Richie Mintz, who's a rolfer, has a book. Jeff Maitland's books, you hear a little bit about, but that's, I think, a little more esoteric for some people. We're trying to spread the word between our communities and other people. So not just books, but like, hey, Kirsten Schumacher has a great class. Go check it out. Well, I like the cross-fertilization that happens when people from different schools get together. I, I also really enjoyed Lael Keen's um, uh, version of uh, like her, what she distilled from her um, somatic experiencing uh, training uh, for Rolfers and other structural integrators and uh, on working with trauma. That informs my work a lot. Yeah, she's um, great. I got to work with her. I did my final phase with her in Brazil in Monica Kapari. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was wonderful because they really streamline with the structural work how movement kind of what you were talking about with the subtleties of working with the neurovascular system is you know even if you're doing kind of a heavy-handed technique with a little adjustment you could probably anchor into that system and that's what kind of they spoke to with the structural work of, you know, when you're in doing kind of classic structural integration techniques, when you call for movement, it just amplifies the technique so much more. Yeah. And I think they did a really great job of, you know, bridging yeah. that. Movement does so many things on so many levels. I remember from Lael's class, the idea of surveying the horizon so if you're turning to look to the right and looking to the left and you're grounded through your feet while you're doing it, you're, you're really um, 
regulating your nervous system in uh, in a helping helping with a traumatic response. You know, helping helping bring things to resolution or calm. It's like there are no tigers to my left, there are no tigers to my right. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've used that little kernel of um, of advice. You know, when when things it feel like oh oh something. I, I I got I'm getting in over my head with this trauma thing and just return returning to a sort of a a grounding and and checking out the horizon um, does so much. Um, well, I, I mean, I'm thinking even of your exercise where you you hold on to the the sternum and you're looking over. I'm sure that's integrated, whether you're whether it's aware or, or just from years of practice and doing it. That's having that in it as well. You are slowly going over and, and providing a, sp- a space of, of safety in the client uh, or in the practitioner doing it to themselves or the person doing it to themselves as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, that's been in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's one other teacher I want to mention. My first yoga teacher who really taught me to um, enjoy yoga. Um, her name is Lisa Wells. Um, but she would say, um, pause at the first interesting place. So for me, with my stiff body that was still dealing with a lot of scoliosis things, and I had a, um, I had a double mastectomy for breast cancer, so I had a lot of restriction in my chest. And like just going into downward dog was not very comfortable. Um, but for, for me, going from like a warrior... Uh, warrior two to warrior three pose just going through that turn and feeling it in my adductors like going not not even being focused about the the two poses but being curious about the what happens in between the two poses was a really interesting lesson or or tilting down into a side angle pose maybe i'm only 20 percent into the pose and i can feel the first interesting pull somewhere maybe in my thorax, something that's not quite moving or turning at the same rate. And if I pause there at that first interesting place and breathe, something big happens. And I think that something big is a neurovascular release for intercostal nerve and artery. It's the work that I'm doing now, you know, with people where I'm working with breath and movement to free the neurovasculature. And I think that yoga has theoretically been working with for ages you know generations it's just our current model is thinking about it as a fascial model but we've been working on nerves and arteries through yoga all along and being less attached to what pose you're in and more curious about the pathway from one asana to the other i think that's where the the um exciting bit for yoga is with yoga for me well, what I'm hearing you talk to is the actual, the, the embodiment of all this, you know, whether it's yoga, Pilates, gyro, martial arts, taking time to actually feel into your body, feel into as you transition to new orientation and space and learning about it and not getting so driven on what the expected outcome is, whatever yeah. that it's not supposed to look like or whatever that Pilates, martial arts, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think we missed it. Yeah. 
Excuse me, what, what were you saying? I'm sorry, it's about being curious. Curious, yeah. And I think the curious is when we get to own the embodiment part. But mm -hmm. often we miss that, especially in, when these practices become mainstream and then turn into, you know, a, a workout, which no problem. I, I love a good kind of workout yoga class or whatnot. But um, there's, there's a lot of fine things that get missed when you just kind of are plowing through and not taking time for spend spend time in curiosity. Well, and also like speaking of plowing through, if we're if we're going to the older, heavy shearing ways of plowing through fascia, it's harder to some extent in that moment to be fully embodied when somebody is digging in or going down because there is there can be that sense of <gasps> of clenching and of, of holding. And while it might feel good or we're telling ourselves it feels good in that moment, it's like disembody, ah, embody, ah, disembody, ah, embody. Whereas with the neurovascular where it's lighter, you can actually, your nervous system can, can be rested and, and the body and the mind body can actually be in a state of, of curiosity there as opposed to, ah, you know, it's hard to be curious and contracted. It's easier to be curious in spaciousness. And I think that's a lot of, you know, and embodiment's a big buzzword now, but it is easier to be embodied in those neurovascular ways uh, because there's space, there's ease, there's, there's curiosity. Well, you know how when you're working with a client, uh, first time you do lower leg work, for example, and you're doing something on, maybe it's early on in your series session two, and you do a little work on one side of the body, and then you make them walk around a little bit before you do work on the other side. And it's that contrast between the right and the left that gets them sort of engaged more in the process. It's like, whoa, my right side is really different from my left now. It's that sort of surprise element, I think, that leads people into into embodiment in a way that um you know at first we don't have the subtle perception so much and and if i i think it's it's one of the things that we're teaching as we're doing as we're doing structural integration is is that we're teaching people how to perceive and be curious about more subtle things with less attachment to outcome I don't know, I, I could go on and on about that. But for me, that's like an ongoing lesson that I myself am learning from and that I'm constantly teaching. <laughs> if, if, I, if I have um, just a few things that I'm always curious about and always trying to help other people be curious about, it is, it is um, uh, how to be less attached to the outcome and yet curious about it. Yeah, that's beautiful. It reminds me a little bit of meditation uh, where they speak about beginner's mind. It's really a sense, I think, of always coming back to that to that space of, of that beginner's mind and being in there. And it's a great place for curiosity to be. I think that as usual, in some ways, we're just scratching the surface and we could probably talk for an hour or more and more or more because we're, we're geeks and we love this sort of stuff. And for you, you're obviously very passionate about this, which is lovely, which is why I'm, I'm sure you're a great teacher because it's it's something that I can see when 
watching you how, when you talk about when you talk about these subjects, especially the neurovascular, the the light in your body, the the way you move is so alive. It is so embodied that I think that's one of the most important things about a good teacher is that they are passionate about what they are doing. It's not just, um, uh, okay, another group of people, I'm going to go in and do this. It's going to teach the same thing. You know, it's like, great. I get to share this thing I love, you know, and, and, and make the world a better place because of that. So it's really, it's nice to see, but I also, I want to be mindful somewhat of time because you know, we're, yeah. Well, I think I just, um, I just want to acknowledge that every single client or person that I taught has been my teacher. Hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's what keeps it alive and awake. You know, the whole learning journey is that the learning goes both ways. And, um, and I'm thankful for that. You know, I, right now I'm thankful for the people who I'm working with online because they're teaching me about working online. But beyond that, they're teaching me about working. They're teaching me about doing the work um, just in a, in a new medium, in a new way. Um, it's the same lessons. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you stepping up, whether it was, you know, you said you were kind of drifting a little bit in the online world before COVID, but it is your brilliance and, you know, your gift to help continue supporting people find their way in this, in this new way of, of working. And I think it's a real gift people well thank you too for putting yourself out there in that podcast realm i I like what you're bringing to people yeah so if people if people want to find you for for a class or for other information how do how do they sign up for classes how do they find you and i guess also because you know nikki said she took a class through anatomy trains i'm guessing there's a few different things that you currently Mm -hmm. are offering yeah if you go to the anatomy trains website and look up neurovascular or um kirsten shoemaker um you can find there's two two-hour webinars that they have recordings for sale and that there's a page for me too that just talks about my program um that'll link you to my website um you could also look up agilebodysi.com slash nvr nvr is for neurovascular release Clever. Well, we'll we'll put a link for that in our our show notes too, so people can can click it instead of having to remember those yeah. those letters. But it, it's helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're really grateful. You are our first ATSI or KMI yeah. person we've spoken to, so it's really it's great. One of the things we're trying to do is have numerous schools yeah. on, so we can we can bridge this gap and we can become an SI whole as opposed to SI separates and be more integrated. So we're really grateful for having you and for your time. It's just a pleasure to, to see you again. Got to luckily in this day and age, Andrew and I have ever were co-hosts and we've spent a lot of time with each other, but we've never met each other personally. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm grateful that I've got to meet you in person and get to continue learning from you and just taking the time to, to talk with us. I think, the, the neurovascular 
element to the whole structural integrative work uh, is a great piece to talk to. And I don't think it's out there enough. I think the whole buzzword around fascia and, you know, that kind of takes the, the glory of all the work. And um, so it's just, it's just nice to kind of hear the other ways of making changes in the body. You just reminded me, Nikki, of something, which is like a few years ago, seeing a shirt that said fascia is the new black because, you know, fascia was so trendy and now it's like neurovascular is the new fascia. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's all certainly part of it. <laughs> Thank you. And um, yeah, have a great day and we'll, we'll be in touch. Okay. Thank you uh, all. Sounds good. Ciao. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Kirsten at agilebodysi.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us, and we greatly appreciate your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye for now.